other thing, you know, that God has been, uh, has laid on my heart that uh, I'm excited about, I'm really excited about personally, I feel led to teach on, um, I just did the teaching schedule for the summer, and I emailed all the teachers, said, look, this is what God's doing with River City, he's working on our hearts, he's, work, he's wanting us to understand and experience more of his love, and we've started a Wednesday night deal where we're soaking every Wednesday night here with live music sometimes, without live music sometimes, but we're creating more of an opportunity for us to experience God's love in the summer, and it's just what God's doing. In those times, we've had, you know, hundreds of people showing up on Wednesday nights to experience this because, I mean, that's what happens. When, the, when God's doing something, one of the ways he confirms is that people get excited about it. We've had very powerful times of people just experiencing God's love, experiencing his healing while in soaking uh, and just spending time with God. And we just kind of show up and invite the Spirit to come and, and uh, you know, we just see what happens. And this Wednesday night's no different. We're going to be doing that again. And then we have Superpower Thursday on Wednesday nights coming up in a few weeks. And we'll be telling you more about that also. But, um, but one of the things, uh, when I've been praying about, okay, God, you know, your love. Like, what do I teach about, you know, your love? Like, that's such a huge topic, isn't it? And um, I think one of the things, what I want to speak on this morning is the reality that, uh, is that, you know, him teaching me about, Antley, you can't love anybody else unless you're receiving my love. That one of the things that my love does is give you the ability to truly love other people. And that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. And I'm going to kind of give you an example um, of how that's been, I was reminded of that in a very, very um, obvious way this week. Because, um, you know, you would think that it's easiest to love those that are close to you. That if we're going to love anybody in a way that's, you know, that, that we've been created to love people, it would be our family. We just love them most easily. So um, this week uh, I took vacation. And really once you have kids... There's really no such thing as vacation. Vac- you know, just, it's like work you don't get paid for all of a sudden. And I can't wait to start, you know, get back in. I was like, hallelujah. Last night I was going to do my sermon. I was like, yes, I'm back to work. This is great. I get some rest. But anyway, um, <laughs> you know, I was home this week, and, uh, and I'd, kind of fall, you know, I'd kind of fallen out of my God routine. Laura was under the weather the whole week, and it wasn't feeling well, so kind of, I was on point. I was cooking. I was cleaning. I was you know, doing all the stuff with the kids, and they were out of school. Flip. I mean, Chase had school this week. And he has to, I had to wake up at like 6 o'clock in the morning and take him to, you know, get him to school. He had a field trip, call out a soccer party. I was like, Mr. Mom. And I love my kids. I do. I love my children. But it, I've, I learned this week, you know, I'd fallen out of my God routine, my time with God because of my craziness and running the house and everything else. And, uh, and, and I just was not spending the time that I had been spending with them. And I realized, like, why do I hate my family so much? <laughs> this, this can't be a normal God-given emotion here. And it, and it kind of, God kind of showed me this as, as uh, it kind of climaxed the, at the end of the week when it was uh, Grace's birthday. You know, it was on Friday. She turned six years old. And I was running around. I was building a bicycle. I was, you know, making sure Chase was doing the cake. And, you know, we, we had all these things going on. And I was, we, we let them order. They can have whatever food they want on their birthday. You know, Grace wanted you know, hot dogs, macaroni and cheese, green beans from the can, and, and corn, you know, corn from the bag. Like, those are her specialties. Like, that's what she wants. And so I was cooking all these things and doing all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, and at 10 o'clock, two hours past her bedtime, after I had just finished wrestling with her, she's standing at the end of her bed, standing up, wide awake, being like, it's my birthday, I don't have to go to bed. And I'm thinking, 
why do I feel so much anger towards a six-year-old right now? This is not a loving, normal emotion right here. And I'm like, Grace, I let you stay up. Because it's your birthday, I let you stay up two extra hours. And she, this is her famous line. She's like, this is the worst day of my life. And then like lays down in the bed. That's what she says. If she, if she, if she encounters any conflict or resistance, her reaction is, this is the worst day of my life. And she lays down or just like shuts down and leaves the room or whatever. But, um. But, but, you know, as I was thinking about, I was like, why is it so difficult? I mean, that's, they're my family, you know? And you're thinking, yeah, practice some tough love, you moron. Tell her to go to bed. Well, that's what I do with the boys. I do that all the time. I'm like, strap them down, belt them in, and go. You know, that's it. But with Grace, if I look at her cross, she's like, ah, you're so mean. You're a mean daddy, and it's my birthday. You're making this the worst day of my life, and I'm going to bed. It's just not that easy with girls. I have a horrible time, a hard time punishing grace. It's horrible. I'm horrible. But, but I, I'm having a hard time loving her. And God's like, he just, he just threw it in my face. He's like, yeah, you can't love her or your family unless you're receiving my love. And he's been teaching me again about his love. And uh, when I was praying about talking this morning, this is the thing. Why is it so difficult for us to not love our enemies? I mean, that's a whole other deal. But those that are close to us. And I think God's revealing to me, showing me that unless we're receiving his love, unless we're spending time in his presence, allowing his love to penetrate our hearts and to transform our hearts, you know, there's no way that we can truly love other people. We can act like we love other people, but we won't have the affection, the emotional connection, the desire, the experience of God's love with them that we are created for. And um, obviously, there's lots of scriptures that kind of illustrate this, that talk about the importance of us being with God, but I, I found this one that spoke to me uh, specifically about this, and um, it's the context of the scripture, it's, it's just before, it's in John 17, just before Jesus is arrested, so it's at the end of his public ministry, and it's um, what's called, um, in religious terms, kind of like the religious term that Paul used, imputed righteousness during worship, that word's never been said in our church, I'm excited about that, it was very theologically correct, but um, it was very, you know, so anyway, here's another, Jesus' high priestly prayer is the name of this prayer, and basically what's happening is at the end of his public ministry, and it's Jesus praying to his father, first about himself, then he prays about a prayer to his, about his disciples, and then the last third of the prayer is about us those who are going to believe in the future. And so that's kind of the context of what's happening in the scripture. And I read it, and I thought, man, this is Jesus' prayer before he's getting ready to be killed. We should pay attention to it. There should be significant things in it for us, not only as we look at his relationship to the disciples, but specifically to us, what is he asking the Father for when it comes to us, his children that are to come? And so I want to read that to you kind of out loud, and just kind of wander through it together. Again, it's John 17, 20 to 26, and it says this. He says this. There he goes. That's what he says. I did not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's just, that's, he's, I don't ask for only the disciples or the apostles that you've given me, but I ask for those, I'm praying for those who will believe in me because of the disciples' words as they go out and spread the word to the nations, that they all may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe 
that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I thought that was interesting. You know, Jesus making the point that that the Father loved him before the foundation of the world, before he died on the cross. Before he did any public ministry furthering his kingdom, Jesus brings a reality into picture that his love for us extends beyond what we do for him. Before we were created, God knew us and he loved us. That our value is in a reality that has nothing to do with what we do for him, which is one of my points today. Um, Before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now, there are are, are lots of kind of themes that we could get from this text. Unity, unity, glory, mission. (laughs) Never mind. Okay. Unity, glory, mission, (laughs) knowledge, love, you know, those are, the, those are kind of the basic themes that, are, that, that pastors or teachers teach from this text. But love is obviously the one that I want to focus in on today. Um, you know, we see in this passage a great desire for Jesus uh, to know his love, his Father's love. You know, he wants us to know his Father's love, to know the intimacy and the relationship that he and his Father have. But not only to know about it, but to become a part of it. That we would know the same intimacy that they have. You know, in Romans, Paul writes one of his most, you know, probably one of the most theological places in the Bible where Paul's really working into some deep, heavy stuff. One of the things that Paul talks about is the work of the Spirit in us crying out to the Father to bring us into the intimacy that Jesus, of the Trinity, basically. The Father, the Son, the Spirit have. And one of the the main roles the Spirit does is, is it calls out to our Spirit, calling us into that intimacy, but out, it's out of this love relationship with God that the world will come to know his Father's love. It's not what many of us practice, which is, if I go and show the world his love, then they'll come to know, then God will love me. It's kind of the backwards thing, like we said with the money in the last few weeks. You know, God doesn't love us because we give. We give because we love. The world doesn't know Jesus because we go show the world Jesus. The world will know Jesus because we love Jesus. Because of Jesus' love within us. In verse 21, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Again, these are Jesus' prayer. This is his prayer to his Father. The last thing he's asking his Father before he's getting ready to go through crucifixion and death. Huge priority that they may be in us. In verse 23, so that the world may know that you have sent me. And love them. That you love them as you have loved me. That God, I want, Father, would you please let them know this reality. That you love them as much as you love me. Think about that. The creator of the universe, God the Father, loves you as much as God loves Jesus. 
pretty important stuff. Amazing statement of your value, of God's love. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. Again, Jesus' desire, more than anything, Father, I, I just want them to be near to me. I want them to be with me. I want them to be wherever I am. I want to be with them. And then verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And again, it's the work of Jesus Christ that we see coming out here. I will continue to make it known. It's my responsibility, Father. I take that on myself. I will make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. Jesus' greatest desire is that we would know the Father's love. That, that we would know his love and that what he's done for us. It's clear from this prayer how much Jesus loves us. How much he wants to be with us. Wants us to know his Father's love. And to be in the same relationship with them that they have with each other. And it's out of this love relationship that the, that the world will know who they are. It's out of this love relationship that our families will experience God's love and know Jesus. It's out of this love relationship that our co-workers will know the love of Jesus Christ. It's out of this relationship that everything flows. So, so how do we miss that? I mean, this is Jesus' flipping prayer before he's getting ready to die. High priority here. How do we miss it? Why do we then ignore this and try to do life on our own? Well, I have a theory. I'm going to tell it to you whether you want to hear it or not. And you may disagree with it, but I'm going to illustrate it too. And I think that you'll believe, and this is not the case for everyone, but this is, again, I'm just teaching you what God's teaching me right now. This is what God's doing in my life. He's reminding me of these things. But I think that this is, this is why it happens. This is why we miss it, is that I think the longer we're with him, or the longer we're Christians, the less we think we need him. The longer we're believers, the more reliant we slowly become on ourselves again. And again, this is just my experience. The longer I'm a Christian, the longer I'm with Jesus, the easier it is for me to move away from him and think that I can do it on my own. Unless you've stayed close to him the whole time. And then you realize that there's no way I can do this on my own. If you're spending time with him regularly, you realize the things that he's doing through you, how you're loving other people, can only come from him. And again, many of us probably experience this. You go on a retreat, you come back from your retreat, you're all fired up, you're close, you're excited, you're like close to Jesus all of a sudden. You know, you've done something in your life, you're close to Jesus, you come home, and you talk to your wife, you talk to your kids, or you do whatever, but you're real excited. Well, why are you real excited? Because you've been reminded of the necessity of Jesus in your life to forgive, to heal, to transform, or whatever. Or, I mean, I worked for a ministry for years that we would take, you know, lots of kids to camp that were non-believers. They'd have a Jesus experience, and they'd go home and, like, destroy their family. Not, they wouldn't mean to, but we would tell them before they leave. Now, you might want to go home and just kind of live your life for Christ, you know, you know kind of fly under the radar, and to see and then allow God to permeate and work himself out in your family in his timing. It would never work. Excited 15-year-old high school goes home. I've been saved by the blood of Jesus, Mom. It's great. You've been a Christian your whole life. No, I haven't. And neither are you. You need to repent. 
Because I had this, like, relationship now with mom. You're just religious. I had one parent call me one time. Aunt my son's downtown in his $40,000 car ministering to the poor. I found him on the curb, like, and I'm like, what have, they're like, what have you done to my kid? I'm like, thanks a lot. That doesn't do any good things for me. You know, but, but what happens is we get excited. Why do we get excited when we first meet Jesus? Because we're so close to him. We make this transition, this transformation in our life. We're so close to him. We're feeling the effects of him in our life. It is powerful, and it's exciting, and it's fun. But what, what happens is we drift. We drift. And the amount of drift that we have from Jesus affects the pressure that we allow him to have in our life or to come and to bear in our life. One of the pictures that God spoke to me about this on when I was back in California at this worship conference was I had this picture of this fire hydrant that was just gushing water. There was this fire hydrant. It was just gushing water. It was flooding the streets. And I um, just felt like God said, you know, the reason there's so much water coming out of that has nothing to do with the fire hydrant. It has everything to do with the source of the water, the pressure that's coming through the fire hydrant. And if you move that fire hydrant, I started studying water pressure last night. You know, how am I going to work this into my talk? You know, I was praying about it. And one of the things I found out is that whenever you have water pressure at a pipe, um, there are things that cause that water pressure to lessen. Um, and, uh, and there's lots of things. One of them is the size of the pipe change. If you go from a six-inch pipe, let's say where there's 1,000 pounds of pressure, and you whittle that down into a one-inch pipe, you're going to lose a lot of the pressure in that. It's the volume of the pipe changes. But also, as the pipe extends, let's say, from the street to your house, the distance from that major source of pressure to your house, just the friction of that line causes the water pressure to drop also. As there are turns in the pipe, that causes the water pressure to drop as well. Whenever the pipe corrodes on the inside and there's less room for the water, that causes the water pressure to drop. So all of these turns that you put in the pipes in your house cause the water pressure to drop. That's why if you're building a new house, you should use, make them use one-inch pipe instead of half-inch. I learned all this kind of stuff. Just come ask me about it later. But anyway, you know, but the reality is, is that, you know, if we want to increase the water pressure in the house, the only way we can do it, we have to have turns, don't we? We have to have pipes and all these things. We have to increase the volume of the pipe, the amount of pressure that can flow through the water that can flow through the pipe. And as we increase that, the pressure increases so that when those spigots in your house are opened up, the pressure that's needed is able to flow out of it. And so what happens, we become a Christian, we're right close to Jesus, we're right at the T, you know, right where the water pressure is, so strong. And then all of a sudden, we get into life, and we get pushed a little away, we add distance between our relationship with Jesus. We take a turn, turn we have a kid, or we start dating, or we do this, we do that, we do this, we get married, we get a career, we go to college, we do all these things, and we create these turns in our life, all the while lengthening the distance between us and Jesus increasing the friction, the resistance in the water, and the pressure in the water changes. And then we come into a situation where we have to love someone. We open the spigot, and a dribble comes out. And the dribble, you know, a dribble of Jesus. We're still plugged into Jesus. We're still tied into Jesus. But the pressure has, has lessened because we've allowed our time with Jesus to, Jesus to lessen as we've been with Jesus. This is the same as true. This is what I'm excited about. The same is true with electricity. Oh, yeah. The same is true 
with power cords. You ever try to run a power cord, like a power saw on a cord this size? I have. And so what you do is you do this number. You, like, get this, like, extension cord that's made for your house, right? It's made out of, like, barely any copper. And so you untangle it like this, and you get it together, and you're like, i got to run this bad boy, like, 25 feet. Here we go. And so you, like, daisy chain it, right, to, like, another one of these indoor extension cords. And what happens? All of a sudden, you know, you put it together. Oh, you can't put those together. This was like 1800s cord right here. You can tell by the color. But anyway, and then you tie it to this one. And pretty soon, you have the distance, don't you, that you need to operate your power saw. Hence, there's no ground, and you could die when you hit your saw button. But you get it nevertheless, okay? So here you are. You're with your power cord, and you're out there. You're ready to do your job, and you come over. And you get your power saw. You know, you get your power saw, and you're like, i got to crank this bad boy up. You know, there's electricity. Is it, is it plugged into the wall? Yeah, it's plugged into the wall. Oh, how about this? It's an old enough saw that there's no ground on it, so it fits the plug. So you plug it in, create a little distance. And what happens? Is it, a, is it connected to electricity? Yeah. But what's that? We've added distance, and with electricity, what happens is resistance is added. And in the resistance, what happens, what happens is that the copper wire, the, 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 or the, the, uh, the amount of the copper wire in the cord will actually, be, the smaller it is, the less voltage that can, can flow through the electricity, right? And so, but you don't know that because you're out, you just want to cut a piece of wood. Paul, come here. I need a volunteer. Yeah, you got to come here. You got to come here. You got to come stand on this. Okay, so what happens is you get ready. You get ready to pour out Jesus or turn on your power, right? You don't need glasses. So it sounds like the saw works. Here, scoot it out a little bit. I'm not going to shoot it at you. There we go. It sounds like the saw works. It sounds like everything should work. There's electricity going to it, but we moved away from the source of electricity and this thin power cord. So you go to cut the wood, it, you know, it just doesn't do what it's supposed to do because you burn up your saw this way too. It's not good. It's not good to do that because you don't know that the voltage in the saw has been lessened. So you keep using it. And what happens is it burns the motor out because there's not enough, stay here, electricity going through it. So they make these big honking cords that cost like $1,000 practically. They increase the amount of electricity that can flow through the cord because there's more copper wire. So like this is like a 10-gauge cord is what it's called. You know, this is an industrial cord. Kids, don't try this at home, okay? And so what you do, you plug this bad boy in. I think it's like 50 feet or something. And then you... Dang it. Wrong way. Come on. Okay, and so now we have proper power supply. We've, we've increased the volume of electricity that can flow through the cord, right? And so we unplug this cord. It's not meant for this job. We plug this thing in like this. We're ready to go, baby. Let's see what the saw can do now. 
See, and then when it's time to use your saw, you got the electricity you need. And you can do what you were made to do, what it was created to do. And it works, it's like it's supposed to. Now, come here. I can't tell you how much I wanted to do that illustration. And so, with electricity, with water, and with God, it's all about flow. How much electricity is flowing through the wire to power the tool that needs to run as it was created? How much water is flowing through the pipe so that when the spigot is open, when we're called to love someone, there's enough pressure. Jesus brings enough pressure into the situation to do what he wants to do. Or in our own life. Have we allowed the twists and the turns and the busyness and the scheduling and the kids to create so much distance in our relationship with Jesus that when we're called on to do what we are created to do, to love other people, we open the tap and nothing comes out. We go to, we go to power the saw. We go to do whatever we, we were created to do in life. And, and we're still connected to Jesus, aren't we? But there's no power. There's no love to give out because we've allowed ourselves to get away from this value, this idea that Jesus says and talks about. I, they need to know my love. I want them to know my love. Father, they, more than anything, would you help them to understand how much you love them? Because Jesus knows that it's out of that love that everything happens. Your ability to love others is directly related to how much love you're getting from God. As we are called to grow in our love for others, it also makes sense that we would be spending more and more time with God, wouldn't it? You know, whenever you become a Christian, people will say things like, yeah, you need to start spending time with God. Maybe just five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day. Maybe you work up to a half hour. Well, if you've been a Christian for 10 or 15 years and you've matured in your relationship with Christ and you're still just spending a half hour with God, not that this is a formula, but if you're not... Ex- extending the time you're spending, the volume you're spending with God, you shouldn't expect to have the same power in your life. It won't happen because you've changed. God's grown you. His expectations, what's happening in your life has changed. And so when I was praying and thinking about this, it's not that we aren't plugged into Jesus. Lots of us are plugged into Jesus still. The problem is many of us, you know, I think there's two groups of people. Many of us don't ever use the power. You know, we kind of go through... The, the reality in your life. You know, I was like the Energizer Bunny, always told to keep on going and going and going. And I would fill up on the world, put a battery in my back. It might be a relationship. It might be a job. It might be this or that and the other. And I just kept on going and going and going. But eventually, I would run out. But then I met Jesus and was plugged into Jehovah Jireh, my power provider, baby. A permanent solution for my electrical problem. And now I just go and go and go. And he is the source of my power everlasting, alternating current forever. And, that, and that's how we kind of think. See, I'm plugged into Jesus. I'm okay. I'm plugged in. It's good. But many of us, you know, we, 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 that happens to us. But then we feel so powerless because we've gone and we've, we've kind of created this environment. We go and we go to our office. We go to our family, whatever, and we look just like the world. 
And we sit down and someone goes, oh, what's that? Oh, this here is what makes me different from you. It's my lifeline to heaven. And we're using our relationship with Jesus as a lifeline or a rope instead of a power cord, aren't we? Our life looks just like everybody else. We act just like everybody else, except we're carrying Jesus around with us with the assurance that he's connected to heaven. And we're going to use him to get in. But we're not going to use the power that he's given us now to live life to the fullest, to have his love in our life and the life of others now. Other people do the exact opposite. They get a relationship with Jesus, and they're like, all right, got to start loving the poor, and they jam it in there. And then I got to start, start giving more. I got to start doing Bible studies. I have to start doing this. I start doing that. I start doing this. I do carpool. And we start plugging in all the things we're supposed to start doing, and we start operating out of our own power. Even though we're plugged into Jesus, because we're not spending time with him, we're not being filled up, we spread them out so thin in our lives. We get spread out so thin in our lives that there's not adequate power to go around. And so when it comes to a situation where we need his power, really need his power, we can't fake it, there's none there. We're just exhausted. We're worn out. So again, you can kind of get the picture that I'm going for here. This is just about what God's teaching me right now. And I think it's what God wants us, our, our church to center in on, and that is... Are we spending time with him? Are we cultivating a relationship with him where he's allowing us to fill, allowing him to fill us with his power? And for some of us, it means unplugging from some of the things that you've started doing. What are the things that you've lost the joy for that you started, that you were excited about? What are the things in your life that you're not excited about anymore, you're just doing because you've got to do them? Those are the things you should probably unplug from first. But some of us need to unplug so that we can spend time with God, increase our volume with God, so that his power can flow in and through us like we were created and do what we were created to do. For others, it means that we start using the power of Jesus in our life that he offers to us when we get plugged in. But for both groups, it begins with us repenting and asking God to forgive us for trying to run our life without him. Loving others is something that only he makes possible, that only Jesus makes possible by what he did on the cross. He is the one who allows and empowers God's love to happen in our lives. And when we try to do it on our own power, we worship ourselves instead of him. We bring glory and honor to what we can do instead of what Jesus can do, instead of what Jesus has done. In verse 26, again, it says, I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I'm going to continue to do this, Father. This is what you've created me to do. Would you please help them to understand that the love of the love that you have for them, will you help them understand the love that I have for them, It is by being in Christ that the world will know his love. If we want the world to know his love, then we need to spend time with him receiving his love, increasing the volume of power and pressure that he brings into our life. His love is capable of healing, of bringing hope where there's hopelessness, 
of transforming our relationships, of bringing healing in physical ways into our life. His love is what draws your family and people into his kingdom. It's his love. It's what he has done that empowers us, that allows us to love others. And the good news for us is that his greatest desire is not that we would love him so that we can go and do these things. It's that we would just know his love. His greatest desire is that we would know the love of the Father. And we're going to give you an opportunity to experience that now. So why don't we stand? We're going to move the first four rows of chairs.